Hello, my name is Israel. I've been involved in hip-hop since the 1980s as an artist, producer, radio show host, journalist, documentarian, magazine editor, hip-hop advocate, and pundit. Over the years, I've interviewed hundreds of interesting people in music, media, and more. Welcome to Sounds from the Underground, the podcast from Insomniac Magazine, where we learn from both those who reside below the surface and those who've breached it. So I want to welcome everybody to the Insomniac Magazine podcast, Sounds from the Underground, and offer a big welcome to David C. Doc Snyder, a multifaceted artisan, a producer, a director, an MC, an entrepreneur, and a hip-hop practitioner. So thank you so much for joining us, man. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you uh, having me on and reaching out. It's uh, it's an honor. No See? question, man. You're you're very welcome. And 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 I love to maybe get a little bit of a background on you, man. You've been involved in a lot of facets of entertainment and and media and and of course hip hop. Um, I would imagine, and feel free to correct me if I'm wrong. I would imagine did it, did it start with with the love of hip hop, or was there something else that got you in? No, no, it was it was the love. I mean, I grew up I was born in 74, so you know, I was kind of a I was basically an 80s kid, you know. Mm-hmm. And um and my parents listened to a lot of different music uh when we were growing up. I grew up primarily uh, around Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And um which is, I still live out here today. And um um so our local station was uh, WAMO, uh, which anybody from this area knows is it was the one of the legendary black music stations in this part of the country. Mm. And uh, so so I listened to uh, I listened to some rock and pop and stuff. But around 85, 86, uh, we were listening to WAMO more than anything. So. Mm-hmm out of soul and, and R and B and my, my folks, you know, kind of came up on that and they would, um, they'd go see the Motown reviews and, and things like that. And, and so the, the music was always there. Mm-hmm. The soul was always there. Black music was always there. And when I first heard, uh, rap, you know, I, I had to have been run DMC mm-hmm. because it was kind of trickling out here, mm-hmm. you know, we weren't getting into like New York was. So, um, and I, you know, I'm, I'm a white kid from the suburbs, so I really wasn't getting it until yo MTV raps. But, um, when I first heard it, I was like, wow, this is really, you know, this is something, this is something that's really speaking to me. And I didn't quite, you know, understand it at first. And I, I didn't quite get it. It felt more of a, uh, I, I hate to say it, but it felt more of a novelty back then. Mm-hmm. Because it, it was so rare to me. It was mm. like, what, what is this, you know? And um, and then a friend, uh, a friend of mine that worked for my dad um, one day came in and said, and he said, here, you should listen to this because I think you'll like it. And it was uh, LL Cool J's Bigger and Deffer. Mm. And uh, he gave me the tape, let me borrow it. And I went home and dubbed it. And, I, and as soon as as soon as I'm bad came on on the mm-hmm. stereo, OK, I'm in. A hundred percent. This is whatever this is. I'm I'm down with this because I've got it. I love this and I've got to find more of it. 
And um, and it just and it just went from there. Um, my cousin had a had a friend who was uh, giving him tapes, um, introduced him to to KRS Boogie Down Productions. Mm-hmm. And so then when I see my cousin, we we trade tapes. Mm. He had then, you know, I copy and, and vice versa. And so we were just at that point, we were just trying to find anything we could. And and radio wasn't playing it yet. So mm-hmm. it took another, I would say, like late 88, 89 out here anyway mm-hmm. for, for it to start to really trickle in. And then by that point in time, then we had YoMTV Raps. And, man, every, every night we were glued to that so, you know, that it was on. Was it, was, it, was, was it Fridays? Do you remember? Um, was YoMTV Raps on, on Fridays? I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't have cable. Oh. <laughs> Got you. Got you. <laughs> I, think, I think when the I was lucky, the, I was lucky enough to be in 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 New York in the Bronx. So you know I, the, the, right. the radio, the radio, yeah, yeah the radio in the streets uh, was, yeah. was my you didn't TV raps. <laughs> yeah, you didn't need it for for us outside of New York at that you. point in time. Yo, it was it was Fab Five Freddy and YoMTV raps. I think it was like Friday nights at like ten. Right. And it was, you know, oh, man, that was that was so exciting because you were just like, what are they going to play? And and for me, I was learning new artists every episode uh-huh. because they knew stuff. So it was that's how I found out EPMD, yeah. uh, Real Roxanne, Biz and, of course, Public Enemy. Right. And um, you know, I saw the Baseheads video and I was just like, what the hell is this? This is just crazy. And um, and so I had to find out more about about PE and and then I got for Christmas uh, of '88 uh, among the rap tapes that I asked for I got it takes a nation of millions to hold hold wow. us back nice yeah and um and that and that was it and I was a, I was a fan for life they were my favorites hands uh-huh. my favorites and anything Chuck did or PE did I tried to follow right. and I um and I just tried to keep up with that and then when I when he made himself accessible online, you know, he started putting the email address out there. I started sending him emails and then, uh, and he actually wrote me back once and that was crazy. And, and it was, uh, it was interesting. And, and then he started an online fan, uh, message board on the public enemy.com website. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I started posting on there and I became a regular there and, and, um, and that's how I got involved, uh, working with him. So, that's amazing, man. I mean, the the opportunity to go from being a fan of this amazing group that, you know, revolutionized the genre and music in general to being able to work directly with him. But before we get to that, I, I want to learn a little bit about when you started recording music. So you, you started uh, recording music in the mid-90s? I cut my first... Uh, okay, so <laughs> so my my cousin and my brother and I mm-hmm. had this thing, and and you can't ever hear it. No one should ever hear it. <laughs> but um, we were this group called Triple Threat when okay. we were kids, and so we were just literally would like I'd make pause tapes, uh-huh. or, or we just like straight up jack instrumentals off of singles, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, I'd make pause tapes, and then we we we'd set up like the, a boombox that had a little mic on it in uh-huh. front of the stereo speaker and then we'd all gather around it. We play the beat and then we record it. And if anybody messed up, we'd have to start all over again. Right. But, um, but that's what, that's, 
you know, we did it for fun because we just love to do it. Mm-hmm. And then I met a, I met a guy, um, his name was Sean Dwyer in high school. And Sean was really like, was really in it. He had just moved to, uh, Pittsburgh from, uh, I, from Michigan or something like that, wherever mm-hmm. he was living. And he had been working with some guys up there and Sean had a four track and he had a keyboard with a sampler mm. And he was, and he DJ'd, he could cut and scratch and he was really dope. And, um, he was making beats and, you know, this was the real deal. And he was a dope MC too. And for whatever reason, Sean, you know, we, we hit it off right away. And Sean said, Hey, I'll, you know, I'll try to teach you some stuff. And, uh, he had a deal with, uh, a guy that owned a studio up in, um, Stowe, Vermont. Hmm. And he would go up in the summertime and his sister lived up there and, and he'd work for his sister and then go to the studio when he wasn't when he wasn't working. And he said, why don't you come up? Uh, I talked to the owner and we'll cut a demo. And so that was I think it was the summer of 91. So I, I wow. got that was my first time in a, in a professional 24 mm-hmm. track, you know, recording in studio. And we cut. Uh, four or five songs, I think. Wow. Yeah. And, um, and, and, and so that was, that was the first real kind of project I, I worked on. I was, I wasn't very good. Mm-hmm. I still very good, but, um, but I learned a lot. Right. And so I started, you know, putting money together and I bought a four track and, and I would make beats. And what I were you kept- using? What drum machine were you using back then? I wasn't even I didn't even have a drum machine. I would just I had a little rack mount sampler mm. and um uh I don't have it anymore. I can't remember what it was. You had a Mirage or something? No, it was a it was a wasn't the Akai. It was a um oh man, what was that? So were you were you triggering beats off a keyboard? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I would I would okay. just I'd, I'd load up the banks with samples mm-hmm. and then I'd trigger them and mm-hmm. then and you know, make loops and stuff like right. that. It was really tedious, but that's, you know, that was was it at the time. Uh Um, the, the thing that as a side note, um, I think that really actually helped me with timing, Mm. um, you know, that, that experience because you had to be right on, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and that extended to my filmmaking and my editing as well. But Mm -hmm. that, that's a whole other thing. But, um, so I would make four track tapes and stuff like that. And then I got a hold of a couple of, um, you know, I think it was off the off the twelve inch or something. I got a couple, a hold of a couple of uh, PE acapellas. Mm. Um, give it up, and uh, what was the other one? Oh, uh, the from his solo album. No, from Chuck's solo album. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mercury. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I did a couple of four track remixes of those, and um, so when when we started communicating online on the fan site, uh, I, I, and this was right around the time that MP3s happened, mm-hmm. uh, that technology happened, we would share music with everybody and say, hey, you know, here's like somebody would have some rare PE joint B side or something nobody else had and, and say, so we'd share it. And, um, so I shared the remixes I did and Chuck heard them and he was like, yo, these are, this is kind of dope, you know? And, um, he was just kind of impressed that I took the time to do it. Mm-hmm. And, um, 
and that that kind of also was the beginning of of uh of our relationship he had a and what year the, what year was that 98 99, right i think it was nice yeah so um he had started this a website it was called bring the noise.com it was online radio you know one of the, it had to be one of the earliest sites mm-hmm. and um and he played the my the remixes i did on his on one of his shows and uh that was crazy man. that had that to was, be pretty awesome yeah bouncing off the walls on that. <laughs> so uh yeah so that was that was uh that was kind of the my my start in getting into it and then from there he or when I'm trying to remember when it was now. Oh, uh, for the Revolver Lucian album, which uh-huh. was uh, 2002. Uh-huh. Um, he reached out and he said, "Hey, why don't you uh, why don't you do a remix for uh, um, give the peeps what they need?" Right. And I said, "Yeah, sure, I'd love to." And and I did it and gave it to him, and it ended up on a promo CD they did, and it got licensed by a TV show, and wow. that was kind of the that's kind of the start of it. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. So that was really you as a producer. So when was it that you first started? Well, let's just say when you started to advance yourself as an MC, as a lyricist. Um, so I was still doing my own music all that time. Mm-hmm. And um, when so sometime in 2000, um. Yeah, I was just I was doing music and I get we'd pass around to friends and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And then by this point in time, you know, like 99, I was sharing it with enemy board guys, you know, guys mm-hmm. on the site and putting it on the Internet. And um, sometime in 2000, um, Ch- somebody asked Chuck because I because he and Griff had just done it was right around the time they did the confrontation camp project. Mm-hmm. And they had also produced which people may not realize uh, this, but they had produced and I think they might have rhymed on it too. I don't remember. It's been so many, so long, but uh, uh, they had done a track with Vanilla Ice and um, he was doing because Vanilla Ice was doing some rap rock thing. And mm-hmm. um, so Chuck and Griff had kind of done a track with him or produced a track. I don't quite remember. And so <laughs> all of the purists on the fan site were up in arms. Well, you know, mm-hmm. what do you do? And, and um, and Chuck was like, you know, he reached out and we liked the concept of the song. So we did the song mm-hmm. and um, somebody somebody on the board said, hey, since you did a song with Vanilla Ice, why don't you do a song with C-Doc? Uh-huh. And um, Chuck responded, said, sure, I'd love to do a song with C-Doc. And uh, <laughs> and I was I was actually traveling when that post went up. So I didn't uh-huh. see it. And um, and I and I was visiting with my friend Marcus J. And um, Marcus was actually the one that told me about it. He goes, did you see the enemy board? And I was like, no. What about it? And he said, Chuck said he wanted to do a song with you. Wow. Said, I'm like, what? What are you talking about? He goes, yeah, man, somebody. And he explained the whole thing. And I said, that's crazy. Why would he want to do a song with me? And because and, <laughs> at that point in time, I still didn't think I was, you know, I, I was half-assed at best right um but uh but yeah he you know he he said he would and so we did this song and 
uh, some sometime around 2000, and it was um, it was called "We Don't Need You," uh-huh. and the point of the song was that with the emerging technology that was coming out, that was gonna that would eventually reshape the entire industry, um, that we don't need record labels anymore, mm-hmm. and that was the point of the song, and um, because we can record. We don't even have to be in the same studio anymore. That was the, you know, that was part of it. We can record uh, any song anytime we want, whenever. Mm-hmm. And so um, Chuck called the group. He said, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna call it. We'll, we'll make it a group. We'll call it the Impossibles." Mm-hmm. And I said, "Well, there's a punk band called the Impossibles." And he said, "Well, we'll change the spelling." <laughs> so, um, so that's how we became the Impossibles. Right. And, um, and after the first song, he said tell you what why don't you spearhead this and you make the group whatever you whoever you want to make it you know right. whoever wanted to be in it and i'll kind of be you know like an honorary member and and cut songs with you guys every every once in a while and i was like okay you know how am i gonna say no to that exactly so um so that was so that was the beginning of the, of the group and we we did a we did an album, our first album that we kind of put together ourselves and and you know gave away at shows and things like that, and it's not very good, um, but it was you know it was fun to do. And um, then Chuck uh, worked on uh, or was revamping his Slam Jams label, which mm. in the late in the mid '90s he had it as a an imprint through Sony. Mm-hmm. And uh, the uh, arrangement that he was looking for didn't see quite eye to eye with the Sony system. Mm-hmm. So it didn't last very long. So he was always trying to figure out a new way to uh, rework the label. And he found uh, a company out of um, Philadelphia called Music Video Distributors. Mm-hmm. I know those folks. Yeah. And uh, they said, "Okay, yeah, we'll we'll be the distributor mm-hmm. uh, for your label." And so he said, "Tell you what, you know, you guys, you guys put an album together, and that'll be the first release on Slam Jams, mm-hmm. put the Impossibles out." So we did an album called Slave Education, mm-hmm. and it came out in two thousand four, um, w- which was a kind of insane because the there was a mistake. Uh, when the album was released and they had pressed the wrong master and it was actually, and they had pressed up our first album. I'm not to this day. Wow. I still know how it happened. So, uh, so it basically went out to <laughs> the wrong thing and, and died immediately. Right. But, but uh, you know, we got it corrected and, and sent people corrected copies. And, and that was, that was kind of where I felt a little more comfortable. Uh-huh. As, see, um, but it was my guys in the group, uh, that really were, they were kind of up in the, you know, raising the bar mm-hmm. and they were really up in their game and that inspired me. And I said, you know what, these guys are getting better and better with, with all the stuff that we do. I've got to, I got to try, I'm not trying hard enough. And, um, so we would start to do shows and perform, uh, a lot of shows around Pittsburgh and in Ohio and things. And then when PE would tour, sometimes we'd open a couple dates for them. And, um, 
And, and yeah, and that was the, that was the kind of height of my hip hop experience. At That's the time. pretty phenomenal, man. From yeah. um, being on the message boards to opening up for public enemy, you can't beat that. No, it was, it was nuts. It was, it was crazy. <laughs> and, and it was a, it was the only problem I guess in retrospect is the industry. We, we came out at a time where the industry was changing. Of course. And so that kind of, you know, we're putting CDs out into the marketplace. Mm-hmm. And uh, when CD sales were starting to, at the very beginning of them, starting to decline. Right. And right. so, you know, so we had to deal with all that. And, mm-hmm. you know, and then the mispress and mm-hmm. whatever. Um, it was, it was, so it was kind of strange. But at the same time, we made an, we made, you know, we made an impact I think the impact we made was bigger than we realized at the time, because to this day, I still uh, find out through just interesting means that somebody, somebody across the world. Oh, yeah, I know you guys. It's like, wow, really? And it still kind of bugs me out sometimes. That's amazing, man. And and I and now Slam Jams, the, the, the label or, or the revamp, not not the one that had the distribution deal with the major, the revamp was online. Cause I remember we had on insomniac magazine, we had a banner on the site for years. And I think it was like in, was it like the big, was it the beginning of the two thousands or like 2004 or five? Well, when did, uh, when did slam jams launch online? Cause I know we, we had a, a link to them forever. Right, right. It's, it was so. I think the online version was two thousand two. Okay, right. Because I know it was a long time ago. Yeah, it was. Right, and um, and it was it was kind of Chuck was Chuck was he's always been ahead of his time with this. No stuff. question about that. He's a trailblazer. Yeah, and so he saw it and he said, "This is going to be the next big thing." And so, Slam Jams was one of the early sites where you could you buy music and download mp3s and um so you know and and he would he'd get all kinds of he he'd tell people about it and they would give him music so so we would you know we were the we were quote unquote signed to the label we were on slam jams right the, the impossibles right mm-hmm. uh but he'd also have he'd have pe songs on there he'd have solo stuff he put stuff that he never released on there mm-hmm um, he, I remember at one point in time, he had a, a, a couple songs from Prince Paul. There was a cool Modi joint on mm-hmm. there. No, it was, it was, it was interesting. It was an eclectic collection of, of, of songs by all these different artists. And then, and then artists that he was kind of signing to the label. And then he got the distribution deal with MVD that, which didn't last very long, um, and and then we switched to Red Eye Distribution. Mm-hmm. They were know those guys too. Tor yeah. Han- Tor Hansen, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, so we were with Red Eye for a few years after mm-hmm. that, and uh, um, and we were doing CD. We were doing CDs and DVDs. Every every album had a CD and a DVD. So it was just trying to you know do something a little bit different so that uh, it would kind of make an impact in a, in a in a uh, marketplace where <laughs> CD sales mm-hmm. were by the wayside so um but 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 in many ways it was it was kind of like a two-pronged approach because you you were still available in the physical space but obviously you had that 
presence online that have been building for quite some some time for the label. Yeah, exactly. And so uh, it was it was ahead of its time, and it and it laid a lot of groundwork mm-hmm. for you know what we do now. Mm-hmm. And um, it was interesting. It was it was it was a really it was a big learning experience. Um, just because everything was changing so fast mm-hmm. and, and nobody knew how, you know, where, where any of this stuff was going to go. And so, um, so yeah, that, that was fun. And then right in, in the middle of that, um, it was 2005 for the new world odor album. Mm-hmm. Chuck was, uh, or it was 2004 when he was working on it. And he mm-hmm. said, I'm writing, I'm writing songs for the new album right now. And, um, and somebody on the somebody on the site on the board said, oh, I'd love to I'd love to have like a new something that sounds like shut them down with big drums or something mm. like. That. And so I was kind of sitting there and reading it and I was like, you know what, I'm going to try to make a, a track that sounds like that. And then it, it totally didn't sound like that at all. Mm. Uh, but I did this beat and I sent it. I sent it to Chuck. I said, hey, you know, I don't know if you need any beats or any tracks or whatever. But here, check this out. If you can use it, let me know. And he wrote me, he emailed me back like 20 minutes later. He goes, I'm already writing to it. (laughs) Oh, okay. And so eventually it became um, the song Superman's Black in the Building. Yeah. And that was my first official production credit for a Public Enemy song. That's phenomenal. And and obviously, I mean, outside of the production, outside of being a member of this – early group on the label you you also are involved on some of the business side right tell tell me a little bit about that well yeah i i am now mm-hmm. and i always made myself available mm-hmm. uh, you know just we chuck would call me sometimes and we'd hash out ideas and hey what about this what about that and so i just give him my you know two cents for whatever mm-hmm. and i would learn a lot of stuff from him mm-hmm. um but uh, around the same time that I did Superman, I for for our Impossibles project for Slave Education, I did. Uh, we got together, the, my guys got together uh, for a weekend, and we and we shot a handful of videos, and uh, you know the real low budget uh, DV cam videos or whatever. But we knew we were going to have a DVD, so I'm like, let's fill it up. And um, I showed Chuck one of the videos for our, our lead single, uh, which was called one man's dope. Mm-hmm. He loved the video. He just, he thought it was hilarious. And he goes, this is great. And he showed it to, uh, one of the other artists on the label, uh, a singer named Kyle Jason. Mm-hmm. Kyle saw it and he's like, yo man, this is, this is, this is great. When can you come out and, and shoot a couple of videos for me? And I said, you know, well, let's make some time. So I went and shot two videos for Kyle and Professor Griff saw one of those videos and that I did for Kyle. And he said, yo, you got to come to Atlanta and shoot a video for my seventh octave <laughs> rap rock project. Wow. OK, so I went and did that. And then Chuck said, look, tell you what, since you obviously have the eye for this stuff, I'll I'm going to invest in some, uh, you know, new equipment for you. I'll get you a new camera. Mm-hmm. And um, and why don't you just be the 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 video the head video guy for the label Hmm. and i said yeah that'd be great and so i got the i got the new camera and i uh went back to new york to shoot another video for kyle Mm -hmm. and 
um, he was having a record release party the week after we shot the video. And he said, we're going to have a screen. And if you can, if you can have the video ready, cool. If not, I know it's only a week away. I, I get it. If you can't do it, I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll see what I can do. So I, I, I went back and we had this, um, it was a, it was a Panasonic. The camera I had was the Panasonic DVX 100A. Yeah. I remember was, that it was a hot, that was a hot item at the time. Exactly. It had so the 24P, I, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so I went from like this, you know, crabby little Canon DV <laughs> camera to that. And when I first looked at Kyle's footage, I was like, oh, my God, this looks amazing. <laughs> and um, and so I cut the video together and I drove back out to New York the following week uh-huh. and I hand delivered the video to him. And he's like, yo, it's done. I'm like, here it is. And he showed it on the big screen wow. and Chuck was there and. Yeah, everybody went, you know, was like, yo, this is crazy. And um, and Chuck afterwards, we went back to Chuck's place and um, Chuck said to me, he's like, yo, man, you're just going to have to you're going to have to direct the P.E. videos, too. (laughs) So (laughs) I said, "Okay, I got no problem with that. So. um, So, yeah. So uh, for New World Odor, the the handful of I think we did four videos for that. And and. um, it the the other thing that sold Chuck was Chuck uh, hated doing music videos. Couldn't uh. stand it. He said, because you got to go and be on set all weekend. Uh-huh. He goes, it was such a waste of time. He, that's how he felt about it. Uh-huh. And he said, you got this camera. You can go shoot it wherever the hell you want. <laughs> and, and, done, and you're done in two hours, three hours. I'm like, well, yeah. You know, because I, 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 I started making, as a kid, my brothers and I, we had a VHS camera and we'd make little movies. Uh-huh. So everything was real gorilla. We, we were just like putting stuff together however we could do it. And so when we were doing the music videos, it just extended to that. It was like, okay, you know, how, what I got to do to get this shot? And he loved that. And he loved the fact that we could go out. I mean, literally, he and I have shot, you know, we've gone out and shot a video in an hour. It, it drives me nuts, but he's wow. like... Loves that, you know. He he loves the fact that we can be that fast, and um, and then I figure out a way in post to put it together. So um, so that's that was one of the that and the the way the the quality of the videos. He was really happy with that, and that's how I got the the video doing or the gig doing the the public enemy videos. And and so you and obviously, I mean, I haven't even gotten to this, but you produced uh the majority of his brand new album celebration of ignorance which yeah. uh, is beyond impressive thank you how was that how was it to work with him on that level you know in a studio i don't know if you had worked on um a a project as a whole with him before let me preface with this the only time i've actually been in the studio with chuck to mm. work on a song uh, a public enemy song or or one of his solo joints mm-hmm. was Superman's Black in the Building. And we recorded that up in Cleveland. He mm-hmm. uh, he was doing a lecture and mm-hmm. I drove out and uh, we got a, we found a local studio, got some time and he went in and cut the vocals. And then I took it all home and, and put the song together from then on. Either he was cutting at his studio in New York mm-hmm. or. Um, then eventually when he moved out West, he found a studio that, uh, he loves to work at. And so for the new album, um, that's where he cut all his vocals at. 
And, um, and then they just send me the stems and I put right, it together. Right, right, right. So I worked on New World Odor. I, I worked on Beats and Places. Mm-hmm. Then I did a couple joints off the, the twin albums, uh, which was uh, most of my heroes still don't appear on those stamps mm-hmm. and Evil Empire of Everything. Mm-hmm. So I had some... Uh, I had some, you know, PE production credits under my belt. Um, uh, and then he did a song or I did a couple songs for his solo album, The Blackened Man. Mm-hmm. And I just sent him a handful of beats and then he picked the ones that he wanted. Is that the one that had Back is Black? Black is Back? No, Black is Back was on... Um, that was on a PE record. That was on uh, How You Sell Soul to a Soul. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Um, I was. That's funny. You mentioned that song. I was thinking of the original. I was thinking of the original version of that song today because it was. Um, it was supposed to be the ACDC joint mm-hmm, mm-hmm. back to black, mm-hmm. uh, and then they couldn't. They couldn't clear it or whatever. Right. Right. So they ended up remixing it. But it um, was a killer track. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was dope. Um, yeah, we shot a little video for that. That was fun. Yeah, I saw uh, that. That that was a cool, minimalistic, but it was definitely dope. Yeah, exactly. That yeah. that one of those hour video. Hey, Doc, let's knock this out. I got an hour. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> put put you in the studio and shake the shit out of the camera. So, um, yeah. So so I had done songs with him, and then for this album, he told me about it. Um, but he was. I, I wasn't uh I wasn't totally clear, you know, what what the deal was. Um because I had produced half of the uh last public enemy record, which was uh Nothing is Quick in the Desert. Wow. So um and again that sort of was uh that that was an that itself was an interesting situation because he put out a call to uh, the producers in the in the camp uh-huh. and said, this is for the Public Enemy record. He put out a call to the producers and said, uh, I'm going to start. I've, I've got songs, uh, concepts and lyrics that I'm working on now and I need tracks. And literally the next day he got like 100 beats from all the all these guys. Yeah. And so he's like, okay, don't please don't send me any because I have enough. And I at the time was busy doing something else. And so I was like, ah man, I totally missed out on that. And so I was just like, well, whatever, you know, you, you got to get this other stuff done. So um, when I had a free moment, like the weekend after that. Um, I think that was a Tuesday that I got the the email, the group e- email that said, "Please don't send any more beats." That weekend, I was like, "You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna do something. I'm gonna I I'm gonna make a track anyway and send it. What the hell, you know? Because he'll just if if worse comes to worse, he'll just be like, uh, "All right, I got enough. To, I don't need it, but thanks anyway, Doc. Mm-hmm. That's fine." So so I f- I put this, this song together and it was weird. It was just a weird kind of track. Um, but it was, there was something dope about it. You know, it just had this like menacing groove to it. So I sent it to him and I, I, in the email, I'm like, yo, I know you got beats coming out of your ears, Mm -hmm. but here's a track anyway. If you can use it, cool. 
So I, I sent it and then I had to do something. I had to take my son somewhere and, um, I, I don't even remember what, where we were going. And literally it was like 20 minutes later, a half hour later, I'm on the road driving in the car and he calls me and he, and I'm like, yo, what's up? Did you get that track? And he goes, yo, (laughs) that is it. He goes, that is the album. That's the sound for the album. He goes, you nailed it. He goes, send me more of that. He goes, because that'll be, that's the template right there. He goes, that's what I'm looking for. Wow. And, I was like, and which song was that? It, it ended up becoming Beat Them All. Okay. So, um, yeah, it was Beat Them All on, on Nothing Is Quick in the Desert. And uh-huh. so I was like, okay, I, I got you. And then, and then he starts, and then he's like, dope, send me more stuff. I'm like, okay. And then I hang up, and then 10 minutes later he calls me back. He's like, yo, what if we do this? And I'm like, okay, and I'll, I'll work on it. So I started sending him more songs, and like I said, I ended up I ended up producing half the record, and then I oversaw the rest of it. So um, and and put it all together, sequenced it, and figured it out, and um, and then we released that for. Uh, he he called me one day. And he said, "I got." He said, "I got a crazy idea. Let's um, let's put it on the internet for free mm-hmm. for a week." And we'll just put it out there as a, as a gift for the fans. He said, because at the time it was, this was, this was, uh, 2017. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. So it was PE's 30th anniversary. Right. And the irony was that wasn't he, and I'm probably, I don't know if it was 96, 97. Wasn't he trying to put out an album back in the nineties, uh, like a digital album back in the nineties, but obviously the label wasn't having it. Yeah. So that was, um. That was a project called Bring the Noise 2000, uh, and it was a mega mix. Uh, it's dope, too. It was this a mega mix done by um, Spacey B. I don't know if you remember Spacey B from the Terminator X first record. Mm. Uh, they, had a song, they had a song called Run That Go Power Thing. Okay. And so Spacey was always kind of like, you know, on the fringes of the camp. He was always around. And yeah, this was 97. Mm-hmm. And Chuck said to Spaceman, yo, uh, you know, put this thing together. Or, or Spacey came to him. I don't remember exactly mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. origin of it. But he made this hour-long mega mix of, of all the PE joints up to that point. And went to – so PE was still on Def Jam, and they went – and Def Jam was under Polygram mm-hmm, at the Although Chuck and Public Enemy were signed to Def Jam, he never dealt with Def Jam. He always went when they were with when Def Jam was under Sony, he dealt with Sony. When they were under Polygram, he dealt with Polygram. And so he went to Polygram's um, archive division. I can't remember what they were called at that point in time. They they had a they had a specific name, and um, and he said. I want to start putting out a public enemy archive series mm. and bring the noise. 2000 was supposed to be the first release in that series. And for whatever reason, they, they pressed up promos. Um, they got a release date for it. And for whatever reason, Def Jam killed it. Mm. And so that was one of the, that was one of the first uh, nails in the coffin for the public enemy Def Jam mm-hmm. relationship coming to an end. 
So when Chuck set up the public enemy website, he said, okay, fine. You're not going to let me release it. I'm going to put it out as MP3s. Mm -hmm. And so he started putting them out. He was going to do one track a week until the album was all up there and he was going to leave it on the site as a free download for the fans. And I think they got four weeks mm -hmm. in jam threatened legal action. Mm -hmm. And so that's when he cut the song Swindler's Lust and got out of his contract. Yeah, that's remarkable. I mean, just thinking about the fact that, you know, releasing MP3s in the 90s. Yeah, it's it was, incredible. It's like 98 or 99 or something uh, like that. Yeah, that's crazy. So he essentially did something similar uh, a decade later with Slam Jams and, and the album. Yeah, yeah. So, so, we, so we, uh, we put it out. We ended up putting it out on Bandcamp. Mm-hmm. Uh, for a week and what was great about that was um we beat jay-z by like three days or something like that, <laughs> two days or something like that so it was cool because everybody's like oh yeah uh 444 is out but then some people were like yeah but public enemy put out a new album too <laughs> so we put it out for a week and then we and then we pulled it back but it was already out there and so right. you can still you can still get the album if you just go looking for it it's out there it's floating right. around and um uh, just don't buy it because if you're buying it, it's a bootleg. Because um, <laughs> what That's happened funny. next? What happened next was uh, because of something else that I can't really talk about. Uh -huh. Froze the album. Right. Uh, so if you can download it for free, please do. Uh, <laughs> um, so that that but that has recently been resolved. Right. Um, the um, and so I, we're trying to figure out now exactly what to what to do with that album but in the meantime chuck was writing songs he was writing prophets of rage songs and um and he said i want to do uh i want to do a solo record because uh, i got these songs mm -hmm. uh, he said so when you got time send me some tracks i said okay can do and i sent him a handful of tracks and i i i figured he was just going to pick what he wanted and and then pick you know, go to the other guys and, and pick them out as well. And then he said, and then he called me and he's like, yeah, I'm going into the studio with JP this weekend. JP's the engineer that he works with. And, uh, and I'll start cutting songs. And I, I said, okay. And we, I said, which ones are you using? And he said, all of them. I was like, wow. oh, oh, okay. I, <laughs> didn't know, I didn't realize that. He's like, yeah, man. Yeah. You know, we got, you know, uh, I got, I got songs for everything. I'm like, okay. So, um, yeah. And then he brought Jahi on, uh -huh. and, um, to kind of be the co-writer and, and co-MC of the album. And, uh, that's how Celebration of Ignorance was born. That's phenomenal. And definitely timely. This is Kevin Keith from Insomniac Magazine. To get immediate updates of the podcast after each new episode, be sure to subscribe to Sounds from the Underground on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you've enjoyed the episode, be sure to give us a five-star rating wherever you listen. Also, make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Insommag since 96. That's at Insommag since 96. When you're up late at night and know you can't sleep on hip-hop, be sure to check in at InsomniacMagazine.com. Now back to the interview with Israel. 
Slam Jams and Spit Slam. Because obviously Slam Jams is the label and Spit Slam is a collective of labels under the umbrella uh, that's being distributed through. Is that what it is? They're a distributor? It's it's kind of the no, it's kind of the other way around now. Okay. Um, so, so we're actually we're we're actually f- trying to figure out exactly how we're doing this. But mm-hmm. I, so what it is is uh, the new label is mm-hmm. uh, the the Spit Slam record label group. Okay. And um, Slam Jams is one of our is is our archival label within under you know under Spit Slam. Mm-hmm. So um, for for a few years, a while back, uh, Chuck and one of his old partners had uh, a an aggregator uh, that was called uh, Spit Digital. Mm-hmm. I remember and, that. Right. Um, it was they had the idea early on, but to figure out the tech, it took a little long, and they were just kind of late to the party. Mm-hmm. So um, so they did it for a few years, and then. You know, there were some issues and and they basically shuttered Spit Digital. Um, So out of that, Chuck's wanted to start a new situation and uh, and call it the uh, the the Spit Slam record label group. Um, And and so um, interestingly enough, we are back with MVD again. Mm, Um, Interesting. Yeah. So they are our our, uh, physical distributor and our digital uh, aggregator. And um and you know, and then we set it. We're setting up a, a band camp sites for our artists and, mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. And then we're going to do some vinyl and um, and try some different things. Uh, and we also do CD on demand through a place um, called Kunaki. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So um, so we so we we got that. We're actually doing cassettes. We did a limited run of cassettes for Chuck's album too. It's kind of fascinating to see. I mean, clearly vinyl has been a resurgence yes. mode for well over a decade. But to see the the cassettes kind of, you know, becoming a thing again, it's kind of an interesting phenomenon. I never would have guessed that. I really wouldn't. Yeah. Um, but also now in the uh, the way that people are consuming music, I, I, mm-hmm. I get it um, because it's a it's a the physical you know to have something you can hold in your hand and that's that was the that was the main attraction of vinyl again uh-huh. it's a re i mean i always say it's a reaction to for for real fans it's a reaction to the devaluing of music because yeah. of the digital availability and 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 if you're a diehard fan you want to be able to hold and touch something and and, and brag that you have it <clears throat> exactly you want to read the liner notes you mm-hmm. know you look uh you want to Look at the artwork. It's interesting for the um, for the cassette. The cassette is interesting. It's it's a real collector's item thing because um, on the A side is the album mm-hmm. proper, and then the B side is the instrumentals. Interesting. And, um, and actually, we did the the instrumentals in reverse order, so that if you are listening to a song on the A side and you flip it over, you can hear the instrumental immediately of the song you just listened. To. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Yeah, so um, so it was just something to have fun with, and we put the lyrics in it, you know, in the it folds out the on the artwork, and um, and you have the lyrics in there again, and so you know we it was just like okay, we'll try this and we'll have fun with it, and and um, you know the vinyl was a given, 
so yeah, we're we're interested to see how this goes and how it works. And and so far, it's it's cool because the initial digital release CD release of the album uh, went over pretty well with the fans, and now everybody's clamoring for the vinyl. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll do another big push uh, uh, on the for the record uh, when we drop the vinyl and the cassette here coming out. I think it's going to be early March. I think March 9th, exactly. I think is the the date it'll be available. Right. And and who who are the other? Who, I mean, I know you have an entire roster of artists, but who are some of the other artists maybe that will be seeing music from in the near future? Obviously, Jahi is. Doesn't he have a new album that's about to drop? Yeah, he is. A, so what we did is we 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 did a compilation uh, record for Ja mm. and, um, that kind of combines albums or songs from his first three albums. I think it is. And uh, we're going to put that out on vinyl. Okay. Uh, yeah, there'll be vinyl for that. Um, uh, April, I think. April mm-hmm. or May. Mm-hmm. It's getting pressed right now. Okay. Uh, and then, so we have that. And then we have a Chuck uh, uh, did a um, lecture a while back. And, and uh, somebody recorded it. And so we pressed that to, to vinyl. We're going to try to get that out for Record Store Day. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So we have that. Um so yeah, so Jahi, that uh, we're gonna do. We've been working with Daddyo from Stetsasonic, mm-hmm. and um, Daddyo's been doing a lot of solo records. And so we're gonna do. Um, you know, he's got those out now, and so we're we're gonna do a piece of vinyl that's a kind of a compilation of those, uh, like a best of of those. And um, so we got that. We have a new project from uh, Jawel. Uh, yeah, Jawel from Son of Berserk. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna do that. It's called Pop Smash, and um, it was a concept Chuck came up with. It's uh, the first the first uh, crotchety old man rapper. <laughs> it's kind of like a like a black exploitation soundtrack, and he just talks about how pissed off he is, and <laughs> it's it's pretty funny. It's 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 some pretty good stuff. So um, we're working on that project right now. Uh, that's looking to come later in the year at some point in time. We have a, uh, under the umbrella, the label umbrella, we have, um, Ant Live, who was with, uh, MF911. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. So Ant, Ant's always doing projects. He's got some stuff coming out. Um, we have, uh, uh, one of our artists, uh, Sammy Vegas, uh, or Sammy Sam now, previously known as Sammy Vegas. Um, Sammy's record is, or his album is coming out on digital. Um, he does some like kind of, you know, more dance. He's from, uh, Korea. Right. So, uh, he does some, uh, more dance oriented party stuff. Um, and then we also have, oh, DJ Lords Afterburn. Of course. Coming out on vinyl. Yeah, finally. Right, right. That should be the same, the same day that Chuck's album comes out, I think is Lords as well. Very nice. Yeah. So, so what's what's your role with uh, the label? Well, technically, <laughs> technically, I'm the president. Okay, uh, but I just gotta do whatever I gotta do to keep things moving. Of course, moving. of yeah. course, it's kind of one of those situations. And, that's, and you know what? And that's what presidents should do, right? They should be in the trenches making things happen. And that's what I do, man. That's uh, that's exactly what I do. There you go. Uh, yeah, I produce when I have to. I do songs when I have to. Um, I make sure the packaging is right. Um, I do the layouts, the graphic design layouts for the 
for all the different incarnations. I don't always design. I don't always do all the design work, but I, I at least do the layouts to make mm-hmm. sure they're. Um, and you know, and right now I'm, I, you know, even the minutia like uploading stuff to the to mm-hmm. the video distributor system, so that the we can get the stuff out, and and working in tandem with the record plant and the um, printing printing uh, company and to make sure all this stuff gets gets done. And who would have thought that these pressing plants would have so much business that it's hard to get in the door, huh? They are. We we have a. We we are lucky because uh, we work with RTI uh-huh. out in California, and Chuck has a great relationship with them. Um, we shot a video out there for for uh, Chuck's album, and we went in and talked to them, and they let us shoot footage at the plant. They're running twenty four seven there, just to keep up. It's amazing. It, yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy how much they're putting out. When we were there, they were doing. Um, they were pressing a, a Stone's Throw project mm-hmm. and um, the reissue of Prince's 1999. I was running through there. Um, uh, and then a, Col- a John Coltrane album. Wow. Yeah. So it was it was cool to see that. Yeah. I, I'd never actually seen records being pressed before. Right. And um, so it was cool to see that happen. But, um, man, they do a fan. They do a fantastic job. Uh, they send me the test presses. That's the other thing I got to do is I check the test presses uh-huh. on them. And they sound amazing. They sound great. You know? I know the technology has improved for right, vinyl. Right. Wow, we I have I've been so impressed with everything they've pressed for us so far. That's awesome, man. And you know, I, I have to talk to you about marketing. I know that you created a pretty awesome marketing asset. It was essentially a mashup of all of the tracks on one music video. Yeah, that was that was I have to give full credit to Chuck for that. Okay. It was something uh the vid mash is what Yeah, right, 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 right. So we have the vid mash and then we have the vid dash. Okay. And the vid dash is more of something that you can use uh on social media platforms like Twitter or Instagram because it's just it's the it's the single song section of the vid mash. Mm. Uh, so the vid dash is running, you know, about a minute, less than a minute. Um, but yeah, that was his idea that he'd been he'd been talking about doing for years. And he said, what if we do, uh, you know, what if we just do a video that is as many songs as we can cram into it? And I said, OK, you know, I'm not I'm, I'm never opposed to any idea. Uh-huh. So um, so we we shot some stuff in in ohio he he was in ohio um we went to lebron school uh uh, in akron ohio to do the um tide of 45 45 so we did a a proper video for that Uh uh-huh and then we shot some additional stuff that we were going to use for the vid mash and then um and then i went out to i went out to california and we shot the rest of it and we would basically just i just shot footage and then i made a mega mix of the songs Uh and then i got the video to that and um, and that was kind of the inaugural one. And that right. that's going to be the uh, that's that's the idea moving forward so that we can we can just promote more of the album than right. just do five or six videos. Right. Right. So so talk to me a little bit. About, I mean, that obviously is is a genius 
marketing move because it, 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 even if you don't know the song, if you don't know the album, obviously you don't you know Chuck, but just the idea that you're you're putting out a new, for lack of a better description, uh, format. Uh, you know, people are going to talk about that. So, w- what would you say are some of the other? And it doesn't have to be something necessarily that you folks have done, but some of the other um, interesting marketing things in, in the world of music that you've seen in, in recent times. Um, just it, it's it's all changing. You know, it's all changing so quickly, and people are throwing mm-hmm. you know just caution to the wind and just trying whatever they can. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to try to think offhand. I know what. We've been we've been trying to pull from the past mm-hmm. and like bring back things that kind of faded out. Right. I know for for the for the PE albums we were trying to do stuff like the old KTEL commercials. Mm-hmm. Oh, where where we you know do these little minute long promos right. with the voiceover and some goofy graphics and right. then like the best of home. gangster rap exactly and down home country <laughs> exactly <laughs> freedom rock man turn it uh-huh. up. And and then we scroll the songs, uh, you know, the song titles up and then you play bits of the songs and and just crazy ideas like that and throwing that stuff out there. Um, the vid the vid mash was that was a that was kind of the 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 big thing that we came up with. And we ended up using that same concept uh, for Profits of Rage. Too. So we did the uh, the ballot or the bullet mashup right around. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. For uh, voting push. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, they sent me they sent me some songs, some work in progress songs. And um, and I made a mega mix, you know, of the songs and, and created a video around it. So that's that's what we're kind of working with now. Chuck loves to do. um ads he likes to make ads for for these albums and then he mm-hmm. tweets out and and gets them out on social media but the that's the challenge right now is to how do you how do you get people's attention right. in in this in this industry in this world where everybody's attention is being pulled in mm-hmm. 25 directions all at once mm-hmm. and, um i'm just you know i'm just looking for interesting things i've noticed that the new thing which is which is very curious that I've no, uh, I've seen a couple of times recently, and Chuck actually talked about doing something similar. Um, but now they're starting. I, I've seen casts are starting to cut music videos to old movies. Uh, yeah, that's that's certainly a thing. <laughs> right, right. And, and we kind of <laughs> did it to. We kind of did it to. I'm uh, just surprised to, that they don't shut them down. I guess there's so well, much stuff on YouTube, you know. See, that's the thing, and that's what I was wondering about because they're like using like real movies. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. You know? We did a we did a similar thing for DJ Lord mm-hmm. um, for the uh, uh, Eagle Force mm-hmm. song, mm-hmm. and so that video was Lord sent me some footage and he had some live footage of Cool Keith who's on that song, mm-hmm. and then um, and then I found an old really crappy Italian sci-fi movie, mm-hmm. and then I cut the footage in with that. Mm-hmm. But the thing about that movie was it's in the public domain. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So we can use that. Yep. It doesn't matter. Um, but yeah, like I see dudes like didn't like. That's funny. Fun. I did that. I, I produced a Keith album and I did that with uh, with an album I did with Keith. Uh, oh, which album? Was yeah. It? Uh, Nagako. Oh, yeah. OK. Word. OK. Yeah, I produced that That's record. True. Yeah. We did a bunch of videos with public domain uh, sci fi flicks. 
Yeah, see, and uh, yeah, that's dope. Yeah, and, that was and, back in '06, I, I think. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. So, you guys, so you guys were trailblazing then. That's cool. Um, but yeah, I see guys cutting stuff. You know, like, you know, like Goodfellas and stuff. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Guys aren't <laughs> okay with that. It's just gonna get pulled out. So, it's like, a trip. Yeah, I guess it's all about how much noise you make. I'm guessing. Yeah. Yeah, sure. And maybe that's the point. I also wanted to ask you a little bit about Block Sonic. I don't know if you if you wanted to fill me in on that. Sure. So um, Block Sonic is a Creative Commons uh, license label. Interesting. Yeah. A uh, net label that was started by a guy named Mike Gregoire, mm-hmm. uh, who also goes by MG. And mm-hmm. MG was an enemy board guy back in the day. Uh, who is also a graphic uh, artist, a graphic designer. And MG reached out to Chuck and said, after um, after There's a Poison going on, after they released There's a Poison going on, MG re- reached out and said, hey, uh, I love the record and I'm a huge fan, but the artwork for, for Poison was a little lacking. And he said, I'm a professional designer and mm. I would to work with you. So... Uh, so Mike sent Chuck some samples, and Mike got the job um, designing uh, the Revolver Lucian artwork. Mm. And then he did uh, the PE records up until – oh, man. Um, Evil Empire of Everything, I think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's when he did. Um, and, and he did the – and he was hired as the uh, head of the graphic department for – the art department for Slam Jams. Too. Nice. Very nice. So I worked with Mike on slave education, mm-hmm. and uh, and then we did a um, my partner Tyrate and I we did a side project called Lowdown, and he Mike did the artwork for that as well. So um, so Mike started this net label. Mm. Uh, he got interested in Creative Commons music, mm-hmm. um, and he started a net label called Block Sonic in 2011, I think mm-hmm. it was. Mm-hmm. And he told me about it. I was like, "Ah, oh, cool, yeah, whatever, man." And I just didn't pay any attention to it. And then, I, no, it, it had to be it had to be before 2011 because I think I reached back out to him in 2011, and uh, so it must have been like 2010. And then he asked me, he hit me up one time. He said, "I'm doing this release on my label. Would could would you have time to do a remix?" And I said, "Yeah, sure." And um, I don't even remember what the remix was. I could, I could find it, but um, but but I I did the remix and and that's when I took notice of what he was doing and I said this is really kind of interesting, and he said yeah he said it's you know it's gaining a little bit of traction here and there but this is what we do, and so for anybody that doesn't know Creative Commons is another form of um, it, it's an alternative to copyright, mm-hmm. so you you can release something into. Uh, with a Creative Commons license on it, which uh, and there are different levels that have different restrictions, mm-hmm. but it's all about sharing music. At the at the end of the day, it's right. it's about sharing or or photography or film or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So he told me he said I I do all the artwork for all the releases and we offer, um you know, uh different formats for the releases MP3 FLAC you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and I went to his site and I'm looking at all these releases and they're really well done. 
and just presented, you know, the, the, there was a lot of care in the presentation. I was like, this is really dope. Mm-hmm. And so he asked me to do another remix and I did. And I said, Hey, I'd love to do something and release it on your label. And I, I figured he would say, this was in 2011. I figured he would say, yeah, man, just send me something and I'll put it out. And he goes, and he said to me, uh, <laughs> I don't have, I don't have a release date open for about a year. Wow. I was like, wow, really? And he said, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of booked up right now. I said, oh, okay. I said, well, you know, get, put a date in for me. And he said, okay, how about in, um, you know, like October 2012? And I said, okay, cool. And, um, and then I promptly forgot about it. And, uh, and so, he said, so he hit me up in, I think it was September 2012. He goes, hey, you still down to release something? And I was like, yeah, sure. And I'm like, oh, my God, I don't have anything to release. And um, and I was actually at that point in time, I was starting working on um, I was shooting a feature film at that point in time. Mm. And uh, I was shooting on the weekends. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I don't know what to do. And so I I literally put together a solo album, you know, quote unquote solo album mm-hmm. uh, in a couple of, in a couple of weeks. Um, but it, but it turned out really, you know, it turned out great. It was, it was a lot of fun. Um, cause I just kind of put it together real fast and I, I called up some of the guys from the impossibles and I said, Hey, can you jump on a track here and there? And, and, um, and just put this album together and, um, and he released, you know, digital maxi singles from it. And, and we put out a, a put out a, a project called, uh, divided, we divided, we stand. And, um, and that was my first net label release. And it was just cool. I really enjoyed the experience of it. And I brought the impossibles to it um, because at that point in time, Slam Jams wasn't really Slam Jams anymore. Mm-hmm. And um, and I, and even the Bulls at that point, like I was doing more film stuff than I was music at the time. Mm-hmm. And so I said, you know, I got I, I'd like to do a, a retrospective. Um, you know, I, I had an idea to put out this. 10 year compilation, like the, the first, the impossible's first 10 years. Mm-hmm. And I just never did it. And I said, you want to put it out, Mike? And he said, yeah, I'd love to. And, um, he was excited about it. So he put that out and it's, it's called made by history. And it was the, you know, the impossible's 2000 to 2010. And it was just music from over that time, B sides and things like that. And, um, and then we put out a live album through, through that, through Block Sonic, because uh, we had a whole bunch of um, live recordings from two th- uh, 2004 and 2005. We were playing a lot of shows, um, like just like every every month we were playing at least one show. So um, so we had all these recordings amassed up. So um, I turned them all over to my uh, friend Sean Franklin, uh, who was a Slam Jams artist. Mm-hmm. And, um, and he went through it. He was a big fan of ours and he went through it and he put together this sequence, this album together. And, uh, and we put out this live album. And, uh, so when, when the bulls kind of got back together, uh, I said, well, you know, we'll, we'll put out our, our new album through uh, block Sonic. And Mike was happy to have us. Nice. So, so as a creative co- uh, commons release, uh, I would imagine obviously there's different levels and, yeah. Um, clearly, uh, it, the 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 idea, as you mentioned, is really about sharing. But in some contexts, 
uh, of, of the release maybe or the use maybe it can't be commercial and others you obviously have to have a um, oh goodness I'm going to draw a blank now <laughs> you have to um, tell people who, who who is on it where it came from attribution attribution um, yep. so so in your case if, if someone finds the music what mm -hmm. can they do with it like could they put it on a movie what could they do what do they have permission to do with it they can. Um, they can license it. Uh, they have to. Uh, we prefer that they ask for permission, mm -hmm. um, you know, just so we can sign off on it and mm -hmm. we're we're aware of it. Mm -hmm. um, but I've had I've had kids like that are making like skate videos and bike videos and mm -hmm. stuff. They, they for YouTube and they're using our songs like as the soundtrack. Right. And so that stuff. It's fun. It's like fun to find that stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, the our licenses you have to uh, at, at the very least attribute it. Of course. Uh, so that's it. But you can share it, and um, you know we've made acapellas available so people can remix stuff, and um, we've done remix albums um, with with other producers from the label and things like that. Um, now, so that that's kind of the the main release, and then what we do is through like kunaki or something like that um we do physical releases too so yeah you want to support the group you can buy a cd for 10 bucks mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. we don't we don't make a ton of money off of it we haven't um but we did do a couple of limited edition box sets mm, interesting special things that we put together um my dude marcus j mm -hmm. uh you know uh was the the heart of the impossibles he just recently passed away and um but he would he he was a very hands-on guy. He was an architect, and he loved to build things. And so he would come up with interesting packaging ideas and things like that. And uh, our last album, uh, our, our most recent album, which was from a couple years back, was called The Devils You Know. And we did a couple of EPs that kind of went uh, – were released uh, in tandem with the album. And so we did a box set – that he made these little cardboard, you know, boxes that like slid together. It was a, it's an amazing little package. Wow. He made them by hand. And, and what was, what was that called? It's, uh, it's called the, the, the album's called the devils, you know, the devils, you know, and, and you say Marcus designed the packaging. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, um, so, um, Mike MG from the label, actually he did the artwork for it, but, mm -hmm. but Marcus built the template. Right. Right. Ox. Right. You know, designed the box and then man and then made them by hand. Indeed. And we did twenty of them and Indeed. uh and then pressed the CDs through Kanaki and then he put it all together and we printed up a nice booklet with all the lyrics and stuff and sold out of them. You know, they're they're whoops, they're gone. So Wow, I gotta at least look it up online, even though I won't be able to pick it up since it's it's sold out. Yeah. Um, that being said, rest in peace to to yeah. Marcus J. And and I offered my condolences to you earlier, but I guess it's, it's worth saying since we're on recording. Um, yeah. That uh, that definitely he he, he just want to wish his his loved ones and of course um, the band my condolences and yeah. definitely sorry for for your loss. Yeah, it was it was. Um, thank you. I I appreciate that. It was very sudden and you know just one of those things that you don't expect. And mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so we're kind of, it's, it's, um, uh, it's, it's weird now because we had, you know, we had plans. <laughs> for, right. We had plans that we were, you know, uh, and we still are, mm -hmm. 
you know, working on a new album this year and um, that Chuck actually had the idea for. Wow. And uh, so um, so we're going to we just got to figure out how we're going to proceed. But I do have, you know, Chuck is Chuck had the idea. He wants to be really involved in the album. And um, one of our I don't know if it was ever officially announced or not, mm-hmm. but one of our new <laughs> one of our most recent additions to the group is daddy O himself. Wow. That's, that's yeah. amazing. Yeah. We, uh, he, uh, he did a song with us on, on, um, the devils, you know, album, mm-hmm. uh, it's called back to it. We shot a video for it and, um, you can find that on YouTube and, uh, you know, and, and we had a lot of fun with it and, um, shot a video with him in Chicago. We were there working with Chuck and daddy O on another project. And, um, and so he, I, I said to him, you know, the night we got there, it was, you know, 10 o'clock at night. And I said, yo man, you want to go shoot a back to it video real quick? He's like, bet. So, you know, it was me, Marcus and daddy O just walking down the streets of, in Chicago in downtown Chicago, shooting this video. And, um, and we knocked it out real quick. And, we put the album out and I sent it to him and sent him the video. And he's like, he called me up one day. He goes, yo, I think I should be a member of the impossibles. What do you think? Wow. I'm like, I'm like I, you know, you can't say no to that. That's not something you say no to. That's amazing. And, yeah. And it was like, it was an honor. And so I called Marcus up. I'm like, yo, daddy wants to be in the group. He's like, what group? I'm like, our group. Like, what? <laughs> yeah, man. And so, so daddy you know, and Chuck D and I'm surrounded by legends now and we're going to, and, and I have some of, I have some recordings still of, of stuff Marcus and I did that we, we never finished and put out. So, you know, um, I have that. So we're going to, we're going to figure out what to do with it. Well, he definitely leaves an impressive hip hop legacy and looking forward to checking that out. Yeah. That's my, that was my guy, man. Mm. His, his, that was my right hand. Mm. in in the group and i i miss him terribly but anyway i don't want to i don't want to end on a down note i hear you man i hear you well listen i have to thank you for all of the amazing insight that you imparted you have an incredible story i want to thank you so much for sharing and um giving us a lot of gems in all honesty oh man uh, Honestly, my pleasure. You know, I'm I'm so glad that you reached out. I'm glad that I that you had the time to to talk and and you know I, I enjoyed it anytime. No, I, I think we're gonna have to do a part two because you mentioned feature films and we didn't even touch on that. And I'm not gonna even <laughs> open that can of worms. <laughs> sure, sure, no problem. But thank you once again, man, and uh, I'm looking forward to all of your upcoming projects on thank Spit you. Slam and beyond. And uh, we'll be catching up again soon. Sounds great. Thank you so much. You got it, man. Take care of yourself. Yeah, you too. Peace. All right. Bye-bye.